Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to you all. If you are a mom or if you are a grandma or if you are a great grandmother, would you please proudly stand up right now? Just stand up. If you are a mom, I just want to, we just want to honor you guys. God bless you. You have the hardest job. And in the middle of COVID, it got a lot harder. I want to pray for you right now. Let me pray for the moms. Lord, I thank you for these godly women. I thank you for their deep investment. Lord, I thank you that they are life givers. That's what it means. Eve's name is, means giver of life. Lord, I thank you for that you have given them the gift of giving life. I thank you that it's true that nobody grew up poor who had a godly mom. I thank you for all of the prayers that they have prayed. That Jesus, you are the head of the church. We know the heart of every church is praying moms. So I thank you for them. Lord, I ask that you would bless them and encourage them on this Mother's Day. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now that video is powerful for so many reasons. That video is powerful because it tells two stories, right? Part of that video is a story of unanswered prayer. And you better get used to unanswered prayer. It's a part of the Christian life. I don't know why God's not answering my prayers or I don't know why the answer seems to be no or not now. Because <laughs> Maybe God's answering, but maybe the answer's no and that's painful. You, you heard in that the idea of uh, I felt broken and I felt barren. But you also heard in that story, which we don't get to see this side of heaven for everyone. You got to see, hear the story of hope. You got to see the story of healing. You, we get at the end, and I know that story's really hard for some of you because you're like, look, I'm still single. I, yeah, they get the sonogram picture at the end. I, I still can't get pregnant and I still can't stay pregnant. And Mother's Day, and we know this, and if you don't know this, you need to know this, that every holiday is simultaneously joyful and painful for people. And for sometimes Mother's Day is like, well, my mom's not here. Or I had a miscarriage. Or one of my children isn't here. Or this is my first you know, Mother's Day without, a, without uh, my mom or my grandma. And it's what I heard one leader call dream death. Dream death is when you had a dream for your life and it has died. Or it seems to have died. And what we want to say is, we, the Bible says this, where the ideal is lacking, grace is abounding. Where the ideal is lacking, grace is abounding. And it's what's so interesting about the scriptures and why I believe they're divinely inspired, among other reasons, is that God associates himself with the lowly. He says, I am the God of the brokenhearted. I am uniquely close to the widow. I am uniquely close to the orphan. I am uniquely close to the childless. I am, I am uniquely close to the infertile. And we know that being infertile and ha being a woman who has the desire for marriage and children and, not, and having that desire not come true right now in, our, in your life, that, that, that's a very, that idea arises. We see that in scripture. We see examples of that in scripture. What we wanna do is, I'm gonna in a moment just pray for you, those of you who are hurting today. We're gonna take a moment, we're gonna pray for them. And, and it's, because here's what we have to do as a church. We have to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we have to weep with those who are weeping. Here's what that means. If today you're rejoicing, because you're like, I'm pregnant again, You've gotta be willing to step down and, and we've gotta be able to weep with those who can't get pregnant, can't stay pregnant. And they're heartbroken over. We have, we, have to, we have to grieve with them. What's even harder, and I'm calling all of this up, what's harder is to, if you're weeping, it's harder to, um, if you're weeping, it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because you've gotta put yourself down for a second and say, I'm gonna be happy that she's pregnant again. And I'm gonna rejoice because if one part of the body is strong, the whole body's strong. And if one part of the body is hurting, the whole body's hurting. And so we wanna uniquely be a church that with the Apostle Paul, we can say, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 
We're gonna rejoice with those who rejoice and we're gonna weep with those who weep. Would you take a moment as we pray for those who are uniquely hurting on this day? Let's pray. Lord, I, I come to you right now in Jesus' name. And we wanna pray for the women, particularly. It's men and women, but it, it's going to uniquely be women today who maybe they felt in that video something articulated that they felt. Am I broken? Why am I barren? Is there something wrong with me? Lord, we, we live in a sinful world. We live in a broken world. And sometimes the most godly people bear some of that brokenness. It's not their fault. Lord, we ask for healing where there needs to be healing. Lord, we ask for the miracle of, of the, the story of, of Sarah with Abraham is a story of a woman who longed for pregnancy and didn't happen until a very long time, Lord. We ask that for your glory and the good of these men and women, Lord, that we would see many, many women be pregnant. That, Lord, you would, you would raise up a whole nother generation of kids from, from these women who they desire so badly kids. Lord, that's a good desire, Lord. Would you give them grace? Would you let us as a church come alongside them and walk with them in this season, trusting you, when, trusting you for them when it's hard for them to trust you, Lord. Let us truly be the church and be a community in this season. We pray this in your name, amen. Well, if you'll type to, turn to Psalm 1. We're in a brand new series in the Psalms. Psalms is the biggest book in your Bible. If you've got one of those real Bibles, let it flap open and you'll probably end up, if it's near the center of your Bible, you'll end up in Psalms. If you're like me, I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know that... Um, the, the, you, the P was silent, I called it palms, okay? So <laughs> that's how biblically illiterate I was at one point in my life. Why the Psalms? There's a lot of reasons why the Psalms. We're gonna, we're gonna try throughout the, you know, throughout, you know, if the Lord l lets me live long enough, we're gonna, I'm gonna teach through every book of the Bible if I live long enough. And one of the things we're gonna do is we're, we, it takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian, right? You can't just be in the Gospels, you can't just be in the Epistles, you can't just be in the New Testament, you can't just be in the Old Testament. So we're gonna spend some time in the Psalms. Now, some of you know the Psalms pretty well. I want you to understand that, that historically, the Psalms would have been the best known book of the Bible. And the reason for that is simple. Until about two or 300 years ago, nobody had personal Bibles. So you're only gonna know something if it was taught, and then you'd have to be listening, and you really couldn't take notes because there was none of that too, so you'd have to be listening really closely. And that was hard. And so what most people did is they sang the Psalms and they prayed the Psalms, and then they taught the Psalms. So the most likely book of the Bible or chapters of the Bible that somebody would know before you could have a personal Bible would be the Psalms. Jesus, we know, prayed the Psalms. Jesus quoted the Psalms. The, it, the Psalms would have been the hymn book of uh, Jesus and of the early church. And I've said this before, but the whole Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms uniquely speak for us. And some of us are not emotionally healthy. Let's just admit it, right? We don't, we're not emotionally healthy people. There's certain emotions we don't like to feel. Guys are the worst at this, right? We like positive emotion. We don't know what to do with negative emotion. And what happens in the Psalms is we see, how do you express anger? There's whole Psalms on that. How do you express appropriately love and joy? How do you express surprise, which is a big emotion? How do you express sadness? How do you express love and joy? They're all expressed in these Psalms. And what we're gonna be doing, and I'm just, I don't put a lot on the screen, but I wanna put one phrase on the screen. What we're doing in this series on prayer is we're learning how to pray the Bible with this phrase, scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer. I wanna talk about that. That phrase is so important that in our prayer room, which is on the other side of that wall, it is a room where every service, every Sunday, people are praying for you. There's only one thing on the wall. It says, you know, basically that our prayer is going to be scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based. If you come to our offices and you visit us at our offices and you walk into where we have some soft seating, uh, above one of the couches, it says, our prayer is going to be scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based. Why? Because 
We believe that's the most biblical idea of prayer. Let me explain each one, and then we're going to get to Psalm 1. Scripture-fed means that God needs to start and steer the conversation. That the whole, the whole, whole Christian life is revelation-response, 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 right? Does Adam and Eve talk to God first, or does God talk to Adam and Eve first? God talks to Adam and Eve first. Out of the response of that, they talk back. That's how it works. And so what happens is that we know why Christians don't pray. They tell us. I know not everyone here is a Christian, but those of you who are Christians, if we could really sit with you for a little bit and go, why don't you pray? There'd be a lot of answers. One of the most common answers for Christians who are like, I actually want to pray. I actually do. Like, I'm born again. I have the Holy Spirit inside me. I love God. I want to pray. There's a couple of reasons. Two of the main reasons is I don't know where to start and I don't know what to say. Okay, fair enough. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. Say it another way. I'm tired of praying about the same things the same way. How many ways can I pray about Bob's ankle? <laughs> right? Have you ever had someone who's like, pray for you know, my uncle? It's like, I, I'm done. I did it three times. I don't know how to pray about it anymore. Right? You're praying for, someone, you're praying for Sally's salvation. You're like, how many different ways can I do that? God save Sally. I'm done. What else do I say? Doesn't he know everything? And what happens is when you read the scriptures, you read the scriptures and it brings to your mind all of these different areas that you could be praying about. Scripture-fed prayer says, God, I need help. Naturally, I'm gonna pray selfishly. I'm gonna pray wrongly. I'm gonna pray only about my felt needs, not my forever needs. I need the scripture to inform me. Secondly, spirit-led means it's highly relational, highly emotional, highly personal. That we, the word of God's coming to me and I'm actually convicted and God's actually doing a work in me and I'm communicating out of that back to God. I wanna be this type of person. Help me live this out. That's what you're saying. And worship base just says, God, I, I, I this is about worshiping you. The reason I pray is not because I have to, but because I get to, because I want to. That I wanna seek your face. I wanna seek your heart. I wanna be a woman after your own heart. And if somebody stops me and says, why are you praying? I'm gonna say, because I love God, that's why. It's against the religious spirit. Do you have to do that? No, I want to. I, I get to know the greatest being in the entire world. Why would I not want to spend as much time as possible with him? So with all of that said, I want us to look at Psalm 1. We're going to look at all of it. If you'll turn there, Psalm 1, it's only six verses. Ironically, on a series on prayer, this is one of the only Psalms that isn't a prayer. Sorry. The rest of the book is, based, so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are in the book of Psalms, and they're not prayers, but they set up all the other 148 prayers. And, and here's the big idea for this sermon. And for this text, if you want to have a scripture-fed prayer life, you first have to have a scripture-fed life. Your life has to be scripture-saturated and scripture-soaked and scripture-immersed. And, that, and then it'll flow over to your prayer life. You can't like have this deep prayer life over here and this shallow surface-level life over here. And most of us, let's just be honest, we're shallow people. We're shallow. It's like, we gotta talk about the weather. We gotta talk about sports. Don't ask me about anything meaningful in my life. I don't wanna be alone with my thoughts. I'd like a lot of information, but I don't wanna think about anything too deeply and certainly don't wanna apply it to myself. And so I want us to look at Psalm 1 because Psalm 1 is absolutely incredible. I'm gonna to try to do my best to unpack it. I'm gonna read you all six verses. Let me challenge you to consider memorizing this. You can do it, it's six verses. And the call in this passage is to meditate on Scripture. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. And the, the life that's meditating on Scripture, that's the Scripture-soaked, Scripture-saturated, Scripture-fed life that will lead to lots of prayer. So with that said, let's look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man... And I love this, Spurgeon said, yeah, blessed is the man, not the king, not the emperor, not the rich, simply blessed is the person who. 
He does this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Unbelievable. Verse three, an image. This is what he's like. He, he's like a tree, stable, planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. That's the opposite of a tree. That the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want us to look at a couple words in, in, in verse one. Uh, if we go back to the very beginning, we, we have the word blessed. Now, that shouldn't surprise you. If, you're, if you've been with us for a while, this is the joy of expositional preaching, of being in one church, in one place for a long time, teaching lots of books of the Bible. Because what you're gonna see is, wait, isn't this exactly how we started our Sermon on the Mount series? When Jesus Christ goes up on the Sermon on the Mount and teaches his most famous sermon ever 12 times in a row, he, he speaks a blessing over people. What does blessing mean? It means a lot of things. Here's what it means, to be permanently happy. It means to have God's favor and God's fellowship on your life. Now that word has been hijacked, right? That word has been hijacked by the prosperity church which is a false gospel, a not true gospel. The prosperity gospel preaching churches tell you, uh, if you love God, you're not, going to get you're not going to get sick, you'll be healthy. You're going to be wealthy, life will go good with you. That's what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to have, is, is to ha isn't this amazing? To be blessed is to have the American dream. That's what it means to be blessed. Really what it means to be blessed is there's two types of blessing. There's positional permanent blessing and then there's practical in this life blessing. And any of us who trust in Christ, when you trust in Christ, the Bible says you are immediately blessed forever. Your sin, how could you be more blessed than your sins being forgiven? How could you be more blessed than being able to know the living God? How could you be more blessed than your eternity secure? How could you be more blessed than the righteous record of Jesus Christ being given to you? Okay, it's, you can't, it's, it's like, that's it, I'm blessed. But then there's what we call practical blessing. And this is why the Bible warns, hey, do this and you'll be blessed and do this and you'll be cursed and do this and you'll be blessed or do this and you'll be cursed. Practical blessing is blessing in this life. Now, here's how this affects our prayer lives. Most of us pray, including myself, we pray silly prayers. It sounds something like this. Lord, would you please bless me? Would you please bless my marriage? Would you please bless my family? Would you please bless my finances? And you know what I think God says most times to us? I ain't blessing that. I've seen how you've run your family. I don't bless that. Sorry, it doesn't work this way. You don't get to break my commandments and get my blessing. I ain't blessing that. I've seen how you eat and drink. I ain't blessing that. I see how you treat your wife. I don't bless that. I see your horrible work ethic. I ain't blessing that. I see that you're a workaholic and you ignore your family. I ain't blessing that. Here's the prayer that, uh, this, is, this prayer, if you will start praying this prayer, this will change your life. Lord, not Lord bless me. Lord, make me blessable. Lord, what would it look like? I mean, that will change your, it's a scary question to ask yourself. Lord, what does it look like for my family to be blessable? What would it look like for me to put myself in a position where my life through repentance and faith so lines up with what your word says that my life becomes blessable? I actually know, we know the principle of blessing. This is a very simple principle. You can take it today and you can run with it. You can pass it on to your kids. You can tell everybody, it's really easy to memorize. Here, if you want God to bless you, if you want God to bless something, you put him first in it. That's it. That's the principle of blessing on your life, if that's what you want. 
If you would say, God, I would want you, and this is the prayer people pray, God, I want you. Everybody's gonna pray at some point. They're gonna pray for God to get invested in, and involved in their finances. Usually at some point, somebody hits a wall. <laughs> they're in too much debt. Something's happened. They're upside down. They lost their job. And they wanna pray a prayer like this. Well, I, I, I would like you to be involved in my finances. The problem is they haven't been living a life oftentimes that's blessable. How, how, what's the principle of finances? I put God first in it. Why, why, what's all the language of first fruits? What's all the language of giving the first of your flock? Why do you give the first of your flock? They're born one at a time. Why do you give the first of your flock? You go, I don't know if any more is coming. I'm gonna give you my first. And it's kind of, it kind of looks dumb, actually. It kind of actually looks naive for me to do this because I don't know if, it, but it, okay, I'm gonna do it because it's the principle of priority. And some of you, listen, I, you, want, you want God to bless your marriage, but you're not putting him first in it. You have a, I mean, respectfully, you have a dysfunctional marriage. There's no love, there's no respect, there's no sacrificial service, there's no submission, there's no leading, there's no following, there's no word, there's no prayer, and you're like, God, I want you to bless my marriage. He's like, I ain't blessing that. Some of you, you, you want God to bless your family and you want God to bless your kids. And we, but we know what the priority in your life is. It's amusement. Everybody's got an iPad and everybody's in a separate room and everyone's on different devices and everyone's living separate lives. I ain't blessing that. Or it's, it's all about athletics. You're gonna spend 30 grand a year so that your kid can play club sports so they can get into bad division three school. <laughs> you know it's true. You're gonna be obsessed with academics, right? You're gonna be obsessed with academics and you're gonna put all this pressure on your kids so they can maybe get into a decent school with, you know, half of them will never use the degree they used. It's like, we're not even, th and then, we, then at the end of, the, then you, you know, and there's so much grace. Hear me say this, there's so much grace, but you talk to parents like, I, I don't get it. I don't get why my kids don't wanna follow the Lord. We were at church every 15th Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't make community group, but that's because we had athletics and academics and our kids were playing four sports. I, I mean, what am I gonna do? I'm not gonna tell my kid no, am I? If you want God to bless it, you have to put him first in it. It's a super, super, it actually solves all your problems. That's it, that, that is the answer. Now it's not easy to do, but it's very, very simple. If there's an area of your life, you go, I don't think God's blessing me in this. Well, then you ask the question, is, it, am I, am I, is my life blessable? And the answer to that is, have I put God first in it? Well, we know how to do that. You have to learn how to say no. Look, it's all in verse one. I'm so glad God's given us such a clear reading. Look at this. Blessed is the man who walks not. The first thing a blessed person does is know how to say no. Some of you don't know how to say no. You don't know how to say no to your sexual pleasures. You don't know how to say no to food and drink. You don't know how to say no to your kids. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's very hard if you have a personality that's agreeable and you have extra money. It's very hard to tell your kids no. It's like, well, I can and I'm nice. And nice isn't a biblical virtue, kind is. And so it's like, we, we have to learn how to tell our kids no. Okay, he says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the evil person slows down. First he's walking, then he's standing, then he's sitting. What we have to do, if we want our lives to become blessable practically, we have to learn how to say no. We have to learn how to say no financially, right? If we don't have the money, we shouldn't buy it. We have to learn how to say no sexually. And by the way, the no, the no muscle, you grow with your no. And the no muscle in your body or in your spirit, uh, it grows, you have to work it out. You, have to, you, actually have to, you have to actually say, who's in charge here? Okay, I guess I am ultimately, I hope. 
So I'll have to tell myself no. And a good place to start, and Christians have done this for a long time, the first place to start saying no is food and drink. That's it. That's actually why fasting has been such a discipline, well, lost discipline now, but such a discipline in churches. That's because that's, that's where you work the no muscle out. Nope, I don't need an extra portion. Nope, I don't need dessert. Nope, I don't need a drink tonight. Nope, I don't need a soda. I could, it's not a sin, I could, but I'm flexing my no muscle and I'll grow with my no. And so the, this guy, he says, no, I don't wanna do this. And no, I'm not gonna do that. And the Lord is blessing it. Now, here's what this means. It doesn't mean that we're not, we don't hang out with non-Christians. Because you read that, he doesn't sit in the way of scoffers and he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And it's like, what does this mean? Is this, do we need to be as a church, a holy huddle? Do we need to be a monastery? So the mindset of Christians is not monastery. The mindset of Christians is missionary. We need to figure out, and this is hard and it's messy and I'm, not, I'm learning myself. We need to learn how to belong to our local community where there's non-Christians without becoming exactly like them or believing everything they believe. We're gonna have to figure out how to be in the world, the Bible says, and not of the world. We're gonna, we're gonna have to learn how to relate to people who are far from God and close to us. And that's the tension parents are gonna feel as they're raising their kids. Okay, who are, who, because every time we have a, a relationship with any person of or a friendship, there's the, the potential for mutual influence. So we wanna positively influence them, but we also have to be very aware that they could influence us. That's why the key word here, where does it go bad? It goes bad, look at verse one again. It goes bad where he says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I wanna talk about counsel for a second. Counsel is the root word of what? Counseling. And I always have to say this, we're not against counseling, we're for counseling. Weekly we you know, connect people to biblical counseling. We think counseling, we, Jesus' name is the wonderful counselor. We think counseling is a very good, very helpful thing. But we live in a, I believe, and I'll explain this in a second, we live in a society and in a culture that is obsessed with counseling but doesn't actually want counsel. It's interesting, it's a generational change. So I've got parents who are in their 60s. I don't know if my parents have ever been to counseling. Here's what I do know. They would never tell me if they did. Right? How many of you, you know that? If you're talking to builders and you're talking to boomer generation, they don't talk about counseling. If you're under 40, you're either in therapy or you're in denial. Okay? <laughs> right? And everybody's walking and posting on Facebook and they're meeting with their therapist again. Now, okay, counseling, where does it go wrong? Counseling goes wrong when it's two people just sitting together, sharing each other's problems, feeling sorry for each other, not challenging anybody. That happens all the time. Hey, why don't you come? And this, I'm not talking just at professional levels. I'm talking community group leaders meeting with their groups. I'm talking about girls, or ladies meeting with ladies, men meeting with men. A lot of people, what they really want is they want counseling, not counsel. They want to sit. They want to act like they're the victim. They want you to affirm them in their dysfunction and in their sin. They want to come back the next week, really not having to do any hard work in the meantime, and for everybody just to feel sorry for them. Counsel is different. Counsel basically says something like this. I'm not where you are. I'm ahead of you. Your marriage is a mess. I can help. I, I'm gonna actually tell you three things that I know work, but I need you to do these three things now. And I want you to come back next week and I want you to tell me how you were working on those things. And I'm gonna hold you accountable. Do you understand that? It's like, well, oh, I want you to be where I am. I'm not where you are. I'm ahead of you. I may have been where you are and I'm strong and I'm going to help you take the next step. What we need is we need a lot of people. This is why it's the strength of the old, sorry, the strength of the young with the wisdom of the old. We need a lot of counsel in this church. We have a lot of young people who don't know what they're doing, who are getting married for the first time, who are buying homes for the first time, 
who are having kids for the first time and they don't need someone just to talk about it with them. That's fine. That's, that's the role of counseling. They need somebody who's going to give them counsel. And so what we see here is there's, there's this idea of if you have good godly counsel, it will change your life. If you have bad counsel, it will change your life. What are the podcasts you're listening to? What are the songs that you're listening to? What are the shows that you're watching? This all leads to the second thing. If you look at verse two, he moves from counseling to verse two, it says this, but his delight, his enjoyment is in the law of the Lord. You're like delighting in the law? That, you know, most people go, that doesn't sound like, right? Delight in the 10 commandments? That sounds like saying delight in kale, you know? <laughs> right? Do you guys know, by the way, the number one purchaser of kale before millennials and whole food made it cool? Pizza Hut. It's what they used to garnish the buffet with. Isn't that a true story? That's, yes. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates. Look at this, he meditates day and night. So I wanna talk about meditation for a while because the, the, the key to a scripture fed life, the key to having counsel, the key to being able to give counsel is to have a scripture fed life. And that starts with meditation. Now, what is meditation? Meditation is not what you know, that yoga class that says, here, let's do yoga and meditate. That's not what this is talking about, right? Because Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. Like when I was at Elon University years ago, I had a philosophy class. And I remember the philosophy professor said, we're gonna go outside and for 40 minutes, we're gonna walk around, stare at the grass and think about nothing. Terrible idea. I mean, I just, there, you know, but we did that and it was unhelpful and unproductive. That's the emptying of the mind. Uh, med biblical meditation is about filling the mind, filling the mind. So I wanna talk about this because it literally means to talk to oneself which is good because I do that a lot already <laughs> when I'm alone. It's, it's to talk to oneself, to think over, to meditate. Now listen, whenever I say meditation, people go, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can meditate. I mean, it sounds kind of weird. sounds kind of spiritual. sounds like you gotta be really smart to do it. sounds like it's something for introverts. You know, I don't, I don't know that I'm gonna meditate. Well, here's the truth. You already are meditating. So I'll give you an example. If you've ever, and especially pick on the ladies for a second, if you've ever gotten a text from somebody and gone, hmm, why did they just say okay, period? I used three explanation points and he came back with just one explanation point. I don't get it. You know, why are the bubbles showing up and then disappearing? He, why isn't he writing back to me right away? If you, I sent a text three days ago and he hasn't responded, right? Wonder why that is. Or if you've, ever, if you've ever gotten an email from business, it's from a coworker, it's from a classmate, or it's from an employer, or it's from a boss, and you read the email, and have you ever done this? You read it and you're like, oh wow, I think he's mad at me. And so you read it again. And maybe you call your spouse up, read it again. How should I respond to it? Well, that's meditation. If you've ever had a conversation with somebody and it didn't go well and you replayed the conversation in your head and you thought, what do I have to do so that I can win that conversation next time? That's meditation. So we all do it. We all do it. We're made in God's image. We all do it really, really naturally. It, it's to think over things deeply. The problem is what we're thinking about. I would argue that most of the sin problems in your life and my life come up with bad meditation. Okay, what is lust? Isn't it a form of meditation? It's, it's meditating on sexual acts that are forbidden in scripture. That's what it is. And so it's like, well, you know, you may never have thought about it this way. Your fantasy life is a meditation problem. There's all different types of fantasy lives, but that's what meditation, that's what fantasy life is. It's, it's a meditation. How about anxiety? I don't have every answer to anxiety, okay? I know anxiety is more than this, but not less than this. Anxiety is a meditation problem. I'm meditating on the future and I'm meditating on all the terrible things that can happen to me. And, and, and well, what if, what, if this, what if I got COVID? 
What if, I, what if I'm the kind of person who doesn't do good with COVID? What if, I, what if I lose my job because, what if I lose my job because of COVID because then I have to sell my house? Well, what if I had to sell my house, where would I live? If I couldn't live, where would I, would I have to go talk to my, my, my parents who I haven't talked to? Well, if I talk to them, you get what I'm saying. And, and if you've never experienced that, that's exactly how anxious people think all the time. And it's this, it's, they can't get out of it. It's, it's a loop, they're in it. And particularly, when do they struggle with it? Well, all the time, but usually at night. Interesting that the scripture says, please meditate on the scripture day and night. How different would our lives be if when we went to bed at night, we just read some scripture? Said, Lord, you know, I, I just want to think on your word. Think on, I want to read Psalm 23. I want to think on the Lord is my shepherd. I want to think about what that means as I go to bed at night. What, what is bitterness? Meditation on somebody's motives. Uh, yep, I, I know why you're doing what you're doing. In fact, what, what bitterness is, is I become an expert in your faults and your failures and your flaws. And I assume the worst about you and our interaction in every situation. What is coveting? You know the answer to meditation again, right? Meditating on what I don't have and what others do. What's greed? A more sophisticated form of, of coveting because normally it means I can also do something about it. <laughs> it's usually, well, hey, I, I, I don't have what I wish I had and so now I'll do what I need to do to get that. What is pride? Meditation on how important you are to every circumstance and situation. It's like, look, everything's not about you. But, but you're, you're the main person you think about. And the only way you can not think about yourself, uh, or the, way, anyway, you, the only way you can think about yourself less is to think about God's word more. And so this is, this is it. So he says, he says, this is what meditation is. So I wanna talk a little bit about how does this work itself out? Well, it, the, the truth is your life is always moving toward your strongest thoughts. Your, your life is always going to move toward your strongest thoughts. And meditation is I'm going to commit to think over, maul over, think through, talk to myself about God's word. And I'm actually believing that, that, that the power of that will change my life. Richard Baxter, he was a, he was a Puritan pastor who he got very, very deathly sick. He, he ended up thinking he was gonna die. He was on, basically he thought his deathbed. And uh, he was a very faithful Christian and it was on his deathbed that he said what comforted him because he ended up recovering. What comforted him in his darkest hours where he thought he was gonna meet Jesus face to face and leave this earth was meditating. And he was so overwhelmed by it that when he recovered, he wrote a book on meditation. That was his next book. And on how helpful it is. I knew one pastor, he was having a very difficult time in his church. He, had a, he was trying to remission, repurpose, revitalize, change a dying church. And people were very, in those circumstances, people are very, sometimes church people are very sheep bite, you know, very mean. And so um, he said he was about to quit. He went, sat in his hammock. I heard him tell the story. He said, I sat in my hammock and I read Psalm 37. And maybe that'll be a Psalm for you if you're in trouble sometime. But he said, I, I spent the afternoon reading and memorizing Psalm 37. He said, and God, he told me this. He said, God did a work on my heart that day that I was not gonna fret against evildoers anymore. And, and he said, I had committed in my mind that God was gonna protect me. And I encourage you to say he's now been at that church for almost 30 years. But in year one, he had to settle that issue. That issue was settled through the, the power of meditation. Now, now, why don't we meditate more? Because it requires us to do two things, to think deeply about scripture and to think deeply about ourselves. And we don't wanna do that. We don't mind kind of thinking deeply about ourselves, just not with scripture in mind as well. You know, like we have to think about, like what, what, like, you, you know, what, what do I meditate on? Do I really wanna think about that? Like if I'm, if I'm reading this passage, do I really wanna think about what I delight in? Do I really wanna think about what I need to change in my life? Do I really wanna think about the people that I'm hanging out with that I shouldn't hang out with? It's like, I, I don't, I would, I'd rather be willfully blind than have to think deeply about scripture and deeply about my life. But he gives us a beautiful image. I want you to see this. 
In verse three, he gives us an image of what you will be like. And, and don't you wanna be like this? Look at verse three. He or she is like a tree. This is the person who meditates deeply. What does a tree represent? I mean, I don't have enough time to get all into it. It represents stability. What, like, what happens if you hit a tree, a big tree going 60 miles an hour? The tree wins. That's right. Trees are incredibly stable. Trees provide shade. Trees provide oxygen. Trees provide beauty. Trees provide, certain types of trees provide fruit and nourishment. And they're, they're incredible. Here's what it says. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. So the image of the tree, there's, and I said this, I could go a couple of different places. The main point, and this happens by the way, through meditating on that verse. If you look at that verse right now, you go, what's the most important thing about this tree? Right, this is what meditation is. By the way, what, what I'm doing each Sunday here is this is a 40 to 50 minute meditation on scripture. This is what I'm, this is me thinking all week about the Bible and then thinking about you guys and thinking about me and thinking back about the Bible and then I talk about it. That's what I do. This is what this is. What this is. If you're like, what does is, what is a meditation on a passage look like? It's what I'm doing right now. What I'm doing with all of us is what you would do by yourself. Well, what do I meditate on? Okay, get it? So if you look at this passage, what is the most important thing about this tree? The answer has to be where it's planted especially if you're an Israelite and you're reading this, you're like, we live in a desert. We don't get a lot of rain. It's like living in San Diego. And so the only, it, doesn't, it doesn't even really matter how deep my roots are. And we could talk about having deep roots and we could talk about going deep, but what does that matter if there's no water? The, the whole point is, it's about what you're planted next to. This is why we talk so much about being deeply connected to a local church doesn't have to be two city church. We're the first to say, hey, we're the church for anybody, but we're not the church for everybody. But what we're doing on Sundays is we're coming together and as a group, we're thinking and meditating on scripture for 75 minutes. Every song is a meditation on truth from scripture. Every prayer is conversation about scripture. Every sermon is a conversation about scripture. That's what it is. This is why if we, we talk here a ton about community groups, right? And every once in a while, people go, well, why are they, why are they sermon guided? In other words, why do you get back together and re-talk about the sermon in the text again? It's like, I promise, it's not because we think the sermons are so great. <laughs> the, the, the reason that we do that is we're like, okay, actually, what it is is it's a time for you guys together. We've never described it this way, but here's what it is. It's a time for you as 10 or 12 or 14 people to meditate on this scripture together. That's it. You've, and that's actually what changes a person's life is not getting through the Bible. That doesn't change a person's life. What changes a person's life is the Bible getting through them. And so what we all need, really, what we all need this week is to sit down with 12 or 14 other people that we know and love and go, what do I think it means to be blessed honestly? What's wrong with me? Why don't I memorize more scripture? Why? Let me just be honest that what I really delight in is my fantasy life, which is why I'm thinking about it. Or let me be honest, what I really delight in is my hobbies, that's what I really delight in. And I need help. Would you guys pray for me? That's what's supposed to happen in community group. That's why we say things like you won't get everything you can out of this church or out of this sermon series if you're not in a group because we need large meditation like this on Sundays and we need smaller meditation as a group that happens in our community groups throughout the week. That's what it means to be planted. Now, here's, the, here's what it means to, to be planted, what it means for your life. It says, it says three things there. If you look at the verse, it says, um, it says first that, the, that it bears fruit in season, which, is, which reminds you that you can't always see your fruit in every season. Let me encourage you, right? Sometimes you're like, I got six kids and they're everywhere and my life's crazy and I don't know what's going on. 
It's like, well, you know what? There are seasons of invisible growth and there are seasons of visible growth in your life. And you just, you gotta go, what season am I in? What stage am I in? That's why God is so gracious. You bear fruit in season. And then he says this, and your leaf doesn't wither. And then it says, and all he does, he prospers. So what does it mean to prosper? It doesn't mean I make more money every year. It doesn't mean I never get sick. It doesn't mean my life gets more and more convenient and easy and I figure out how to have more free time. That's not what it means that you prosper. That's, that's an American dream, prospering. Prospering sometimes means my leaf doesn't wither, which means sometimes prospering means I'm persevering and I'm enduring in a very, very difficult time right now, right? Like we say this all the time, for something to be true, it has to work in the worst situation. What, what happens if you find out that your son has some kind of disability or something like that? And you're going to have to take care of him in a new deep way for like the, the rest of his life. What, what, I mean, what do you say to somebody? What does it mean to prosper? Well, we're gonna figure this out together. We're gonna bear each other's burdens. And you're gonna do what Jesus says, which is you're going to endure and you're going to persevere to the end and we're going to help you. And that's what, that's what it's gonna mean in this season for us to prosper. The, the opposite is the counter vision. And, and often the, the Psalms will do this. So I tell you this all the time. The Psalms will give you a vision for your life and a counter vision. Uh, Moses does this, Paul does this. This is why you have a vice list. Don't do these things next to a virtue list. Do these things. This is why Moses will say things like, choose this day if you'll do this, and this is what'll happen. If you do this, you'll be blessed. And if you don't do this, this is what'll happen, and you'll be cursed. If you look at verses four through six, I'll read them quickly. This is the contrast and the counter vision to living a godly life. He says this, verse four, the wicked or the ungodly are not so. They're not like a tree. They don't have stability. They don't have deep roots. They're not planted by water. They're not bearing fruit. They're not persevering. But they're like chaff. What is chaff? Chaff is the unnecessary part. Chaff is the light, empty part. Chaff is the part that has no nourishment. Chaff is the part, it says right here, that the wind drives away. The, the idea, it's interesting, in scripture, there's different ways that the Bible talks about the ungodly. One of the common ways they talk about the ungodly, it's here and in, the old, in other places in the Old Testament, as aimless and restless which is a very interesting thought, especially because millennials and the next generation, they wanna travel everywhere. They wanna live everywhere. They wanna work everywhere. They wanna believe a little bit about a lot of things. They're aimless. Here's what he says. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I've got a friend uh, in Denver, Colorado. And, he, and I said to him, he's been there for about five years. And I asked him, I said, what's it like to live in Denver? I said, it's got, it sounds like such an amazing place. Because it's, you know, it's such a cool city. Everybody's moving there. House prices are going crazy. He said, well, I've been here now for five years, and I can tell you what happens. He said, people move to Denver, young people move to Denver you know, for three reasons. One, to be rebellious and leave their families. Okay. Number two, to smoke weed. Okay. Number three, to ski. He said, and what's interesting is about three to five years after, doing, after being rebellious and hooking up and shacking up and breaking up and smoking all the weed that they can smoke and skiing all that they can ski, they're all lonely and depressed. And they have no family. He said, and I thought at first, he said, I thought this would be a great opportunity to minister to them and to see them come to faith in Christ. He said, what most people do after Denver is they go, there must be a cooler place to live. And so he said, this is before COVID, he said, the, the most popular thing to happen is for people to move from Denver to Portland oh, maybe this is the new Denver. It's aimless. It's restless. It's, I'm disconnected from God's word. I'm disconnected from God's people. I'm disconnected from God's morality. 
And I am a lonely, restless, aimless person. I'm like a piece of Jeff. Well, if you, if you read the story, it's like, well, who are you? It's like, well, you read, this, you read Psalm 1, and if you read the Psalms rightly, you feel like, oftentimes you'll feel like I'm more like Chaff than I am like the blessed man. In fact, for a long time, people wondered, who would be this blessed man who would not be able to stop and, and, and sit in the seat of mockers and scoffers and stand in the way of sinners? Who would be this blessed man? Well, we know the answer is Christ, right? We know that Jesus Christ comes into the scene, and he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Instead, he becomes friends with sinners and stands in the place of sinners, what Jesus Christ does is he comes into the world and he is literally called the friend of sinners. He's different and distinct from them, but comes to them. He's not influenced by them, but he's there to influence them. He's not standing and then stopping and then sitting. He's continuing to walk and move forward in the world. He lives the perfect life we can't live. He dies the death we deserve and he rises victoriously from the grave. And now he tells us what it means to be blessed. The, the question as we close is, and you know this from, from the, the text today, what do you need to do in your life to make your life more blessable? For some of you, you're like, well, I, you're not, you can't even talk about being practically blessed until you're first permanently and positionally blessed in Christ. It's interesting, we're doing a series on prayer. And do you know that one of the things that Christians are called in the Bible is those who, are called on the, those who call on the name of the Lord? The Apostle Paul will sometimes write to a church and he'll go, uh, he'll write, Dear Corinthians, and those who call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because the Christian life starts with prayer. That's it. I mean, there's no other way for the Christian life to start. If anyone believes in his heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes that God rose him from the dead, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the language of prayer. We want to, in this series, learn as a church how to have a scripture-saturated and scripture-soaked life so that we can have a scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer life. That's what we're moving toward together over the next few weeks. In just a few minutes, you're gonna get to hear about a guide we're gonna give you to help you with that. Because as a church, we wanna be committed to being scripture-fed, spirit-led, and worship-based in all we do. Let's pray. Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, I just ask for help as a church. As we, as we head in continually now into the summer, Lord, help us to be a church that's committed as ever to making disciples, to mobilizing them on mission and to doing it all in an environment of prayer and worship. That's what we wanna do. We wanna see people come to faith in Christ and we wanna disciple them. We wanna see them sent out into the world and we wanna do all of this in an environment of trusting you, praying and worshiping you. Lord, help us. I think there's some in here who we just need to learn how to say no. No to certain people, no to certain places, no to certain priorities. Lord, the main issue in all of our lives is, Lord, what are we ultimately delighting in? What are we ultimately thinking about? What are we ultimately meditating on? Lord, help us to love your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray for us as a church. You say in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lord, help us to hunger and to thirst for your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.